Wednesday before we, next week, of course, is Palm Sunday and then Easter after that. So we won't get all the way through. We'll come back to it after Resurrection Sunday. Um, but we've been studying through this, uh, this epistle. The Apostle Paul writes a couple of short letters to this young protege, Timothy. Uh, Timothy was overseeing, just a little backdrop, Timothy was overseeing the churches in the area of Ephesus. It wasn't one church, it was many churches, likely small bands of groups, you know, five, ten, whoever, however many could fit in a home here, a home there. And Timothy was to really, was Paul's emissary in that area and in that city, in that region, to oversee these churches. Uh, he was a younger fella, um, the Scholars believe that he was some 30 to 40 years younger than Paul. So you see kind of why the flavor of 1 Timothy uh, and 2 Timothy, Paul really talks to him as if he's his own son. In fact, Paul really, in a sense, he calls him his son in the faith in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. And so he writes to him as if he's, as if he's flesh and blood. Of course, he's not, but he is in, in the spirit and in the faith. Uh, Paul, Timothy was likely a, a timid younger guy. Um, you see that from the number of times that the Apostle Paul encourages him and constantly reminds him to do two things, to be bold and to press on. That you've got to be bold, and if you struggle with being timid, if that's kind of your personality, maybe that's your word today. Be bold in your faith and just keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Keep growing. Keep seeking the Lord in that way. And as we've looked at First Timothy Categorically, we've looked at three areas so far. They kind of break out by chapter. Not often topically do things do that, but uh, chapter one, we looked at the area of faith and the different faith attitudes that, that Paul was encouraging Timothy with and Paul was displaying himself. Chapter two was about prayer. We spent some time corporately as pra- in prayer because we thought rather than just talk about it, let's just do it. And so uh, if you remember two weeks ago, we did that. Various different elders got up to pray about different things there in chapter 2. Uh, praying for all men, praying for people in leadership, in an authority, praying for people would be saved. Those are the three main categories that Paul talks about in chapter 2. Last week we looked at leadership and ministry. Leadership and ministry where Paul kind of says, alright, if, if somebody wants to be a leader and it's a good thing to desire to be a leader and because it's a good work, chapter 3, verse 1, then uh, uh, this is what they should look like. Like this is the fruit that needs to be on the vine uh, for, for a person to rise up into a place of, of ministry. And it's not just for those people. It's really character qualities for all of us. It's all, we should all be uh, uh, working and le- allowing the Lord to kind of come in and hoe out our lives in these various different areas and character qualities that we see in chapter 3. Chapter 4 gets a little more serious. Chapter 4 starts off with a really hard warning. And uh, Paul had kind of referred to it in chapter 1 about these false teachers. But he starts off with this hard warning. And, and uh, as I was, as I was, remi- I was reminded um, of a quote by Zig Ziglar, a Christian author and speaker. Uh, Zig Ziglar said this. He says, every morning I sit down with the newspaper and the Bible open on the table. Uh, that way I can see what both sides are doing. Right, I was reminded of that while I was going through this chapter because it, it really kind of breaks out categorically two ways. Right, He has this heavy, heavy warning about false teachings, about uh, people that fall away from the faith, and he's real stern about that. And then he turns the corner 
Paul turns the corner for Timothy and says, so this is how you answer that. This is how you deal with that. This is how... This is how you personally, and this is what I want you to teach the Ephesian believers. This is what I want, how you, I want you guys to respond. This is how God wants you to respond to all this chaos. And our world's full of the same stuff. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Not a single thing. Right? So this is, for if you're wondering how we respond to all the craziness that's out there, all the false teaching, the bad teaching, the unbiblical preaching and teaching that goes on, or the craziness in our society that says do this or do that or think this way or think that way. This is the chapter really to study. And as we go through and we get into that part of it, there's 15 things that Paul tells Timothy. He commands Timothy, I'll say, to do. Very applicable for today. We live in a culture that's sprinting away from all things biblical and godly sprinting full speed away so i'd like to start with a few questions that came to my mind and i'll throw them out there for you guys to write down or to consider as we go through Uh, if it's if that's the way it is what are the things that keep us on track in our faith what are the things that keep us on track in our faith the second question is is how can we discern the source of the million voices of truth And I say million voices with air quotes around them. How do we discern what those voices are saying? How do we understand it? How do we understand what's being promoted in our culture and in our world today? And then what are the dangers that lie ahead? What are the dangers that lie ahead is is the third question. Let's read the whole chapter. Then we'll come back in and we'll, uh, we'll go through it a piece at a time. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to the deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from food, which, foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that is now, uh, that is now, and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially to those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit in faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on them. Meditate on them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. Father, we we come to this point in the service here, Lord, where uh, 
We're really honed in. We're really focused in. We're zeroed in on your word, on uh, what you have to say. And Father, I just pray that through your spirit, Lord, that you would just connect with each heart here, uh, that you would bring uh, correction, uh, that you would bring uh, exhortation, that you would bring encouragement, Lord, that you would bring vision and, and a sense of direction to each one of us, including me. Uh, Lord, I just uh, I pray that your word just jumps off the page this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's dive into it. Let's dive into it. Uh, to start with, back at verse 1, the Spirit expressly says, now in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I told you, he comes out of the gate and he kind of punches them in the mouth, so to speak, and said, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Now, we have a tendency to think latter times is sometime in the future, but all of chapter 4 is written in the present. It's written in, it's written in the present tense. This is what's currently going on. So we can only deduct that, that Timothy and Paul and the apostles and the believers in the first century knew and conducted themselves like they were in the latter times. And, and, and I've heard it said this, that timeline has kind of come up to this point, now is running parallel, and so we've just stayed in those latter times since the first century, since these, these words were penned down. So nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. God's just giving time and giving opportunity to demonstrate grace to the unbelievers in this world. But there will be a day. That being said, Timothy, Paul's reminding Timothy of the truths that's revealed by the Holy Spirit. And he lays out what I call, my words here, a daisy chain of destruction. There's a daisy, if you guys know, you guys understand what a daisy chain event is, where there's one cord linked to the next, to the next, to the next. That's a daisy chain in terminology. And he said, here's this daisy chain of destruction, and there's kind of three components to it. But it starts off with those that leave the faith. Those that walk away from the truth and abandon Christianity. Uh, they're called in biblical uh, terminology apostate. That's where that word comes from, the apostate. That means they've left, they've abandoned. They haven't come back. They're unrepentant. The hard thing is, is that they won't self-identify as, as a false believer or a teacher. Because he talks about they're coming in. So they're not identifying as somebody that's a false teacher. They think that they're a right teacher. They think they're in the, on the right track. And in reality, they're not. They're, they're, they're false. They're fake. Right? So it's not just an abandonment that means that it's left. It's abandonment that says that, that they've left the doctrine, the true teaching of the Word of God. They've left that part. But doesn't necessarily mean that they've left physically. It can mean. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. So how does someone fall into these false belief and false teaching? They follow this chain of, of, of destruction, this daisy chain of destruction that Paul lays out here. And Paul says, hey, watch out for these danger signs in verse 1. He says, watch out for these danger signs. The Spirit said that this was going to happen. Here you go. This is what it looks like. There's the danger of apostasy, the departing of the faith. There's the danger of deception. Uh, uh, under the influence of deceiving spirits, and there's the danger of false teaching, or what he calls the doctrine of demons. Let's look at each one. So step one in the daisy chain is the departing of the faith. 
That's the walking away from this, and, and note this carefully, walking away from the content of what a Christian should believe. That's walking away from the content of what a Christian should believe. The Bible is very clear what we, should, uh, what we should believe, how we should conduct ourselves, all of that. They're walking away from that content off to something else. And I'm going to put this. It's an intentional move to abandon the essential doctrines of Christianity and replace them with something else. It's not a void. They're not going away to nothing. They're going away to something else. It's being replaced. Okay? It's being replaced. And that's the, that's the zone that they're, they're working in, these people that have abandoned the faith, these people that the Spirit said this is going to happen. Now, when I mention the faith, when it says the faith here, mentioned here, it refers to holding on to these essential teachings. It's kind of categorical in a sense. There's several places in the Bible that, that mentions the faith, the faith, Acts 6-7 and Acts 14-22, uh, Colossians 1.23 mentions it. 1 Timothy 1.19 refers to the faith. Uh, the one that I really want to zone in on, though, is this one. It's out of the small epistle by Jude. Jude 1, uh, 3 through 4, gives us this parallel to 1 Timothy 4. Jude says this, in kind of painting the same picture of apostasy. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, there it is, that's the faith, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. You're, you're, you're contending, he says, hey, contend for these essential teachings, contend for the essence of the gospel, uh, the, the core doctrines of Christianity, that's what we're to contend for, which, and he goes on to say, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. So it's not come in bits and pieces over the course of time. It's come to the saints, the believers. Uh, note this, it doesn't say it just came to one person. It wasn't a private, you know, prophetic revelation that it just come to one person then was disseminated out. The, the beauty of the gospel is, is that it was wide open for everybody to see and everybody to experience. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians, when he says, hey, you don't believe me. Go talk to the people that saw the resurrected Christ himself. So it's wide open. It's wide open. And a lot of false teachers are locked into a track that says, everything was given to me, then I'll disseminate it out. And that's private interpretation. Jude says here, it was given to the saints. It was given to all of us. All of us, right down to you and I today. Verse 4, for, here's the part of the apostasy. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. People walk away from Christianity for a myriad of different reasons. Uh, we shouldn't be shocked, and we sh <clears throat> but we should be about encouraging believers to stay grounded in the faith. We have to, we have to realize that that. The Bible says, the Holy Spirit says, who inspired Paul to write this down, that, that, that these, unfortunately, guys, these things are going to happen. There's going to be people that peel off left or right over the course of time. Nothing's changed from then to now. There's still this category, uh, category of people. We need to be praying for them. We need to be, uh, uh, as much as possible, uh, rebuking them for their false teaching. And we need to be encouraging them to get back uh, to where they 
originally started. How do they fall away? We know that they fall away. How do they fall away? Step two, they're given heed to deceiving spirits, it says. Giving heed to deceiving spirits. These are demonic spirits, part, spirits, part of the angels that fell with Satan. Uh, the word says that a third of the angels fell away in rebellion to God, in rebellion of, of, of God's authority uh, over them and leadership over them. They fell away. They followed Satan. They became then demons. And these demons then, they have a singular goal, at least maybe some of them. I'm not sure. Uh, but I'll put it this way. They have a singular goal to bring deception amongst believers. They have a singular goal to screw up your uh, to, to screw up what you believe is true. They have a singular goal to get you off track, to get you locked into thinking something that's not true, something that's false, something that's heresy. So they're deceiving spirits. They give heed. They give heed, it says. Giving heed man, means that, that I don't just listen to it and walk away. It means I listen to it and I gravitate to that. I latch on to that, that word. I latch on to that that. Uh, mistruth, that false truth. And I start riding on that pony. And I keep going and I keep going. They're giving heed. It means they're joining in. It's intentional. It's intentional. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, kind of lays out the battlefield where Paul tells the Ephesians. So the same group that he's, same group that Timothy is presiding over in leadership Earlier years, Paul writes to the Ephesians church in verse, chapter 6, verse 12, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's who the battle's against. These demonic spirits that are deceiving people are part of that crew, uh, and lies are powerful. Lies are powerful. You can't even turn on the news and figure out what's going on in Europe anymore. Because you know it doesn't matter like what channel you listen to, there's a perspective that's coming in that's got a slant and it's got a twist. We get better information. I'm kind of getting on my horse now. We get better information from our own missionaries via email of what's really going on on the ground. Lies are powerful. Don't forget that. I'm not saying everything that's said on the news is a straight-up lie, but everything has got a slant and a twist. The problem with deception is, is that it contains just enough truth to be attractive to our flesh. We must tune in with what the Holy Spirit is, <coughs> is saying. We need to know the Word, and we need to love the truth. Second Tim, uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, you can look it up. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is a reminder for those that have fallen away because they, they've fallen away from loving the truth. If you want to know what a person that's in this category that Paul's writing to Timothy is like, they're a person that has fallen away, Paul says to the Thessalonians, they've fallen away from loving the truth. That should motivate us and should spur us on, and we should be spurring one another on to love the truth, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Especially when it's hard. We should be loving the truth. So when you love the truth, you love the truth of God's word, you, you, you kind of are, are pulling back from that bad trail of deception back into the good trail of where God wants to take you.
Step three of the daisy chain is the doctrine of demons. Once a person has fallen and been deceived and chose to give heed to that deception, they will naturally gravitate to the false teaching. They will naturally gravitate to this false teaching, whatever it is. So how can we discern the false from the real? How can we discern the false from the real? Uh, The false will question God's word with an alternative motive. I want to pause here and, and just say this. And it was a piece actually that I heard in a sermon while we were on in Hawaii here a while back, is that <clears throat> there's all kinds of motives. When we, when we open God's word, we can have all kinds of motives. And some of those motives can be, can be good and pure, even if we're questioning, like, is this really real? Did this really happen? Is Jesus who he really says he is? You know, we can, we can question we can question with a real authentic desire to know the truth. Or there's the other side of it, the other motive that says, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to question to, to tear down, to take away, to change something, to alter something. And so there's this, there's this alternative motive that comes with these doctrines of demons, these, these teachings that, that the demonic realm promotes that goes sideways to the word of God. Uh, let me tell you what it sounds like. The easiest way that I can demonstrate this is it, with this question. It sounds like this. This alternative motive sounds like this. Did God really say? Genesis 3. Did God really say? Like, is that what he really? Like, now, or, or this one. Or, you know what? You're missing out on something. God may have said that, but, but you know what? He's withholding something good from you. All of these tempting voices, and I can't do the slithery, slithery sound, you know, that you hear the serpent in the garden has kind of that lispy sound. But you get the point. It starts with this alternative motive to really question God's word with a different end in in mind, a different end game in mind. What does it look like? What it sounds like? Did God really say? This is what it looks like. Apostasy attributes are really found there in verses 2 and 3, or at least a few of them. Let's look at verse 2 and 3. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The apostasy attributes, are, or at least those that are mentioned here, are hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the intentional act of saying one thing and doing another. That's what hypocrisy is. It's an intentional act to deceive. It's an intentional act to, to th- this is what has to happen. Got it, kids? You guys do this. It's really good for everybody. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go do the exact opposite. And you're going to say, wh- wh- why, would, why would Mr. Hopkins do that? He told us this is what was right, this is what was good. Why would he go do the opposite? It's an intentional act. And I'm telling you parents, and specifically you fathers, that if there's any ounce of hypocrisy in your life that goes just like perpetually unrepented of, your kids will sniff it out. And I will tell you the, the, the remedy to that and the best thing that you could ever do for your kids is be real and transparent and ask for their forgiveness. Confess it as sin. Like, if you want to set a manly example for your kids, and ladies, if you want to set an example of what a godly woman looks like, you'll be real with your kids. 
And you'll, you'll be wa- ever watchful about these issues of hypocrisy because it truly is an intentional act. Don't bite on that. Don't bite on that. That's what part of the, the, this false teaching was being promoted is. Don't bite on it. Be real with your kids. If you ask them to or tell them that they need to do this, do the same. The second attribute there is a seared conscience. The intentional disregard of our created moral compass. That's my definition for a seared conscience. It's the intentional disregard. I know what's right. I really don't care that it's right. I want to do what I want to do regardless of how wrong it really is. That's a seared conscience. That's that intentional disregard for what I know is built in to my moral compass, the way I was created. I'm going to say, forget that. I want to do my own thing. Seared conscience. Legalism. The last two there, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods. Legalism is the intentional pressure of man-made regulations. It's the intentional pressure of man-made regulations. Jesus was constantly under, uh, being confronted with this intentional, uh, you know, pressure from the Pharisees, not from what, you know, Moses said in the law, but what all the stuff that was added to, added to, added to, added to, and they just kept trying to pressure him, pressure him, trying to trap him, trap him, trap him. That's what legalism is, and that's where it goes. You'll have these. You, 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 you'll get to the point where it's like, really? Like, I don't. I don't think the Bible said that. But if you're given over to this deception, if you're given over to these type of teachings, eventually it gets really hard to figure out. Like, well, is it really true? I really. Maybe I. Sh- maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't do. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I shouldn't do that. And you get kind of caught in the fog of legalism. Don't get caught in the fog of legalism. These false teachers that were there in Ephesus and the same that are present in our day, they're really about this. They're re- really about redefining uh, two things here in the legalism category anyway. They're about redefining marriage and they're about redefining food. Uh, does that sound similar to today's culture? There's this big, this, you know, brooding battle for decades over what marriage means and who should and who shouldn't and what does it look like and now it's just like it seemed like you know a few years ago somebody flipped the switch and it's just like whatever you know whoever whoever wants to get married whenever whatever it looks like however you want to do it maybe you want to like uh, what was the new thing i saw here a while back in the news um maybe you want to just get uh oh here's what it is you can lease a spouse did you guys know this I don't suggest it. The Bible really prohibits this type of activity. But this is real. I'm not joking. Like the, I read an article uh, a couple months ago about this. Well, when I was studying 1 Corinthians. You can lease a spouse. And so like two people come together. They, they, have, an, they have like a, a, a marriage on paper. I'll put it this way. So they get married for, financial, for a financial benefit. Right? Maybe that financial benefit is you know, whatever it is, whatever income category. And you can say, all right, well, we're just going to get married and we're going to get married for 10 years. And after 10 years, you know, we each go our own ways because then by then maybe we're retirement age or whatever. Uh, whatever the financial picture is. And it's just simply for, has nothing to do with what the Bible talks about marriage. 
has nothing to do with loving one another, has nothing to do with, with uh, coming together and being one flesh. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's all about just a, like a financial gain. That's out there. That's out there. This redefinition of marriage, this redefinition of, for whatever reason, they, they really get legalistic with the food. Uh, and the Bible's pretty clear. The Bible's pretty, pretty straightforward, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. If you believe and know the truth, like, you're good to go, right? If I don't want to eat beets, I won't eat beets. We had quite the discussion a couple weeks ago about beets, right? There shouldn't be a restriction there unless that's a conviction, personal conviction, I suppose, can come into play that you shouldn't. But this idea of being legalistic is uh, up and over the top, Paul says. And that's what it looks like by those that have fallen away. So what's God's antidote for the false teaching? Both for them and for us, because we're all in the latter times together, just a couple thousand years later. How can we keep on track in our faith is the question from where we started. I'm going to move really quick. There's quite a few of them here. There's uh, The second point, I only have two, two major points to the sermon. The second one is, is the solid path of godliness. That's how we keep on track in our faith. There's a solid path of godliness that God has for those who believe to follow. Uh, <clears throat> one of my dear friends who's with the Lord now, Richard Page, uh, just a few days before he passed away, I sat with him in the, in the uh, hospital room, and I said, how you doing? And he says, I still am finding out what it means to fully surrender to the Lord. He was like 78, 79 at the time that he passed away. And so this is not, a, uh, this is not an event. This is a marathon of faith. This is a marathon of your life. Uh, you're not going to get it all in one piece, but you have it all in front of you at the starting line. So here we go. In light of those who have fallen away into false teaching, how are we to walk out our faith? Paul gives Timothy 15 commands to encourage him to press forward. First one is his gratitude and prayer. Be grateful. If you want to stay on track with, in, in your faith, if you want to stay on track and avoid false teaching, if you want to stay on track and, and, and not be, uh, fall to the temptation of, of deceiving spirits, uh, first one, be grateful and be prayerful. Verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God and with prayer. So gratitude and prayers is in the first one. And I'm going to lump a couple of these together, so there's probably more than 15, but just don't fall out of your chair. All right, the next, the next three I'm kind of lumping together. So that's the first one, two, three, and four. Uh, keep teaching. Keep teaching nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine, and follow it yourself, okay? So you have an active part. You have an active part. It's not just about what I do. It's not just about what your small group leader does. It's not just about what happens on Monday or Wednesday nights when people are teaching these younger kids and high schoolers and all of that. No, we all have a role to play. We all have a role to play. Look at the verse, verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, Paul says, you will be a good minister of Jesus, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. You're getting the right nourishment. You're getting the right food. You're getting the right intake. 
in the words of faith and in good doctrine. Stay engaged. Keep teaching. Keep being influenced. I like using this word because not every, when I say everybody needs to know how to teach, and that's what Hebrews says, so I think it's true. Everybody needs to know how to handle the word of God. I'll, put it, I'll make it even simpler for you. Be influential. You can just simply be influential in people's lives and accomplish the same thing. So be influential. Look for those places where that you can share the word of God, where you can share your testimony, where people are curious about what's going on and why you're really weird and different. You can say, well, it's Jesus' fault. Fair enough? All right. And then you've got to follow it yourself. D, you've got to follow it yourself. Nursed in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. There's a straightforward command that, that you have. If you're going to do this, you have to do it. It can't just be for you to give to somebody else and then you go do something else. That's the essence of hypocrisy. He's already dealt with that. No, you have to do it yourself. I have to do it myself. Right? We're all in this together. We're all running the same race. We all need to get in and go for it. The next one is to stay focused on the Word. Stay focused on the Word and build physical and spiritual strength. Stay focused on the word, verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' fables. Okay? That's how you stay focused, is you know what needs weeded out and what needs fertilized. That's how you stay focused. Know what you're growing. Like, think of your faith as a garden. You know what plants that you want to, to prosper. You know what you want to harvest. Everything else gets, t- gets dug out by the roots. So stay focused on the word. Stay focused on the word. That's how you do that. And you do it by rejecting. You're rejecting the faults. And then you also do it by fertilizing the true. You exercise yourselves towards godliness. I put in a little caveat. uh, (coughs) Build physical and spiritual strength. There's a parallel there. He doesn't say that... Well, I'll go and read. For bodily exercise profits little, which for me, it's profiting a lot, but point made, Paul... But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the new life that, is, that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Physical and spiritual fitness require exertion, hard work, dedication, fatigue. You need to be pushed to the limits, right? Friday morning, Robbie pushed me to the limits physically, right? 50 deadlifts. And uh, he worked me hard on the deadlift. Saturday morning, I was like, uh. but I know, I know for, for losing some weight and getting into better shape, that that's a good thing. So the pain that I'm feeling, right, Saturday morning, the pain that I'm feeling is not a bad thing. It's a good thing for my body. And the same is true in our spiritual life. The spiritual fitness is all the same. You can use all the same adjectives. You can use all the same expressions. There needs to be exertion. Spiritual fitness is hard work at times. Spiritual fitness takes uh, dedication. You're going to be fatigued, right? You're going to be pushed to the limit spiritually. That is not a bad thing. That's a good thing for you and for me. I'll guarantee it's true. You need to be pushed to the limits in your faith. Sometimes that hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it just wears you out. Don't let go of the Lord. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be pushed. Also takes some proper nutrition. It takes rest. It takes hydration, both physical and spiritual fitness. 
takes these things. And so when we focus in, and Paul's like saying, hey, the, the physical part is good for a little. It's good for a time and a space. Uh, the spiritual fitness, though, is good for both now and forever. It's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. We can kind of look at the two on a parallel track. In your spiritual fitness, you need proper nutrition. Proper nutrition, this is what it doesn't look like. If Sunday morning is the only time that you ever have your Bible open, if Sunday morning is the only time that you hear anything biblical, if Sunday morning is the only... Who, who, would drink, who would eat one meal a week and say that that's good for you nutritionally and that's the way you lived? Nobody would say that, right? All right, caveat. If you're fasting, right, that's different. That's actually biblical and with a purpose. But on a regular basis, if today's the only day that your Bible's ever open or you're ever hearing anything from the Lord, or you're, this is the only day that you worship, you're not getting the spiritual nutrition, the proper nutrition that's needed. Rest and hydration are the last two. You need to rest. Jesus made it a habit to get away and to pray and to rest and to take a break. He could have healed people 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unending. Uh, it would have just went on and on and on and on and on. He got away and he took some time to rest and to rejuvenate. And you got to stay hydrated. You need to stay washed in the word, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians. The next one is to labor and st- suffer reproach. G and H is to labor and suffer reproach. Verse 10, for this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. Straightforward, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. These things command and teach. So he's commanding Timothy to command and teach these to everybody else. We're all part of that process now two centuries later. Uh, The secret to success is the trusting in the living God part and trusting in Christ. The top-level athletes and the, t- the top-tier operators in the special forces, they all kind of have this, this same mentality, this same, this same mindset. And that's this, is that you trust in the process. That you trust in the process. Because in the course of the marathon, you're going to want to bail. You're going to want to be the one that falls away. You're going to be the one that's, that deceiving spirits are coming in and, and giving you know, all this garbage info. And like, should I turn off here? Should I turn off there? Right? Trust the process is how we need to look at it. We need to stay in there. And it takes labor. And at times you're going to suffer reproach. But we need to trust in the living God. Trust in the living God. 1 Samuel 17 is a wonderful display of David trusting in the living God as he stormed out and took on Goliath with a handful of pebbles. He was trusting in the living God. That's what he said. We're going to trust in the living God. We're going to go out and whack this guy, and we're going to cut his head off. We're going to parade it all over town because that's what God's people do. That's how they deal with sin in the land, right? Nobody gets their head cut off, you know, in that regard. He's, it's, it's metaphorical in the sense of dealing with sin in the land. We give the wrong approach or the wrong, <laughs> the wrong insight. But that's how we deal with these false teachings, is we do. We trust in the living God. And sometimes it is a matter of getting, uh, how shall we say, stirred up in our faith and taking some heavy 
action to deal with these things, just like David did. The next one is to act, avoid acting f- foolishly. Avoid acting foolishly. That's the verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Uh, foolish behavior has no age limits. Let's put it that way. Timothy was a younger fella, uh, but <coughs> foolishness doesn't have a, 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 a demographic in that sense. As imitators of Christ, we're all called to demonstrate the maturity that comes as a result of spiritual exercise and growth. So we need to avoid, you know, avoid the, the, foolish, uh, the, the foolish times. We need to be wise in what we're doing. We need to understand uh, that, that rather than being foolish and saying, it's okay, you know, I'm just a teenager, or it's okay, I'm in my 20s, or it's okay, I'm in my 70s, you know, whatever it is, whatever category you're in, like, avoid that and just come back to the reality that what the Word says is that you're called to be an example, right? You're called to be an example. And as I mentioned last week, you know, we, we live in a time and a, and a day where few people want to stand up and say, I'm willing to lead, and I'm willing to lead by example. And the Bible says if you're going to lead, lead by example in word and conduct and love, spirit, faith, and in purity. It doesn't need a lot of uh, exposition beyond that. The next one, J is don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. As I said, trust in the process. Trust in the living God. Read the word, right? Be about exhorting one another and be about godly doctrine, biblical doctrine. Verse 12, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. We were talking as uh, board members. I, I I think there's such a thirst for, the, for truth today. There's such a, tr- a thirst in our country and in the world today, I think literally, I'd, I'd actually like to, I'd actually, I'm not going to do it now, but I was thinking about this. I think you could literally just stand up here after the worship set, open the Bible, and read it, and just simply read it, and pray, and worship some more, and go home. You ever thought about that? Like, it's because it's definitely not about my opinions. But I think that we're in the times like uh, Amos, we talked about this at our, our elder meeting, I think we're in the times like the Am- Amos describes in Amos 8.11 where there's a famine for the hearing of the word of God. That's what Amos said in Amos 8.11. There's a famine for the hearing of the word of God. People want to know, actually they're tired of the deception, they're tired of the hoo-ha in the culture. They just want to know what's true. They want to know what's solid. They want to know what they can stand on. We have these three little, three little areas to not get sidetracked. Is you got to read the word. You got to read the word. It has to be all about the word. Uh, I could stand up here and give a lot of funny anecdotes and crazy stories, but that has often it's just it's nothing. It's hollow. What does the word say? Let's come underneath the word of God and and follow Him in that. The next thing he says to Timothy is remember your calling and your gifts. If somebody will go down and get the the kids that are downstairs, I'll zip through these last few. Remember your calling and gifts. Of the, and there's a time and a place where we need to be reminded. It's good for us to go back and revisit what God said at the outset of our Christian faith. It's good to be reminded of, of God calling us into ministry and what that looks like. It's good to remember the emotion that went with it. Even the, even the fear and trepidation that God's saying, this is what I want you to do. It's good, for you. it's good for you and I to go back to that 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. 
It's good for us. It, it stirs something up in our spirit and in our lives that is a positive. So remember your calling glyphs. Don't, no, don't neglect the gift, he says, which is given to you by prophecy and the laying off hands of the eldership. The next one, meditate on the truth. That's filling our minds with the word of God. There's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of unjust fear in the Christianity about the word meditate. And I'll divide it up real carefully this way. Uh, biblical meditation is filling your mind with the word of God. Any other meditation that's out there from any other spot, whether it's Eastern, you know, uh, meditation or mysticism, it's all about emptying your mind. And then I don't know what happens beyond that. But if you want to talk about biblical meditation, it's about filling your mind with the Word of God. The next one, demonstrate that you're all in. In. Watch your own life. And the last one he has for him is to continue to persevere, to don't give up. I'll read the verses where all these four come from. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, he tells Timothy, that your progress may be evident to all. See, there's a truth in there that whatever progress you're making in your faith, whatever it is, at whatever, whatever level you're growing, or if you're, or if you're stagnant in your faith, or whatever is there, as you get to know people, like it, it's, it's evident, whatever is there. And he's telling Timothy, don't stop growing. Right? Don't, it's going to be evident. Stay in there. Stay in there. Meditate on the truth. Demonstrate that you're all in for the people. Demonstrate that you're all in for Christ. Right? And that you want to spread the gospel and then just keep growing, right? Watch your own life. And then his last one is his last one is take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. Uh, we have a uh, <clears throat> we have to play the long game in Christianity. For too long we've kind of bounced from like one hot topic to the next hot topic. Uh, from one, you know, thing that's a crisis in our culture to the next thing. And not that those don't need to be addressed. Not that those don't need to be, you know, ran through the sieve of biblical truth and, and um, fleshed out in that sense. But we also have to have an eye for the long game. It's a marathon. Our job as Christ followers is to stay in the word, to persevere, to encourage one another to do the same. That's our goal. That's why it's more of a marathon than a sprint. It's, 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 the, it's the long game, right? It's the long game. Stay in there. Do these things. If you guys want this list, I mean, my, my stars, the, uh, my sermon notes are not uh, some top secret thing. Uh, like, you can have them. Or you can just go through, just take your highlighter, just go back through chapter 4, just list out all of these commands that Timothy, or that Timothy received from, from Paul and say, all right, I'm just going to go to work on this this week. I'm going to go to work on this. I'm going to go to work on that. Like, Lord, reveal to me, you know, seek the Lord. Reveal to me, what area am I struggling with the most? Which one am I not giving it any attention to? Which area, which, which of these areas am, am I not... You know, am I either fearful of or, or just, you know, not mindful of or uh, not given the attention that it needs? And allow the Holy Spirit to really coach you and lead you in working on that particular area. Don't give up. Don't give up and don't fall away. Don't be in the category of the first people. Be in the category of the second group of people that continue on in the faith that other people can come to know 
who Jesus is. That's that last part. For in doing so, you're going to save yourselves and those who hear you. Right? That's what he's saying is, is you have the opportunity in ministry to be influential wherever you are. Wherever you are. That other people... So if you stay on board, if you stay in the race, you're going to have that opportunity to touch somebody at some point in time and to be influential in their lives. David, will you come on up and lead us in communion?